Today's episode is brought to you by the Vegas Beer Guys and the Sounds and Cinema Podcast. The Everything Sequel Podcast contains explicit language. Because we learned it from you, Dad. Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the 2009 Single Sequels Edition. Somehow, someway, we cannot seem to finish with the Halloween series. We're talking Halloween 2 from Rob Zombie today. My name is Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, the man with his... (laughs) His mask flaking off, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Say hi, Tom. When I want your opinion, I'll beat it out of you. (laughs) He really goes for unlikable in this movie. Yeah. And I'd say even the abusive, misogynist dialogue in this movie is better than in the last movie. If it was the, if it was the Rob Zombies Halloween 2007, it would be, fuck you, fuck you. When I want your fucking opinion, I'll fuck you in the ass or something like that. <laughs> well, I, I I think I said previously when we did uh, Halloween 2007 that there is a quote from Rob Zombie where he is, essentially gives up on on the Loomis making the Loomis character anything. Uh, close to the he was afraid to do that right well he just said oh fuck it i'll make him dr phil yeah so uh and that's a you know that's one of the one of the it's quite an indictment of dr phil (laughs) i don't know i think it's pretty consistent with the man (laughs) um from what i know about him uh and how he made his name but um but regardless, it's like it's another one of those distinct yet wrong choices that, that Rob Zombie's making. Because you, you mm-hmm. can kind of follow that choice through to the end of the movie and go, yeah, he's acting like Dr. Phil would act. But you're also going, it's entirely the wrong thing to do with that character. Sure. Especially given that you brought him back from the dead just for this. Yeah, right. Exactly. In fact, he brought everybody back from the dead. <laughs> but particularly Loomis. I think I think when you see you you see kind of Loomis resurrected, you're like, oh, that that's the strongest argument that Rob Zombie didn't want a sequel. I would say the strongest evidence that he yeah. didn't want a sequel was having his main girl shoot Michael in the head at point blank range. <laughs> well, we know from Halloween that doesn't always take. <laughs> Fine, but Loomis said, well, no, actually, Loomis can come back from pretty much anything as well you know but that's interesting because now that i'm thinking about it there isn't that michael mystique nope in this in the in these movies in either of those movies really he's just a big giant oaf of a yeah serial killer there's not a lot of shooting him getting down and getting back up well, the, the, I mean, the first sign of that is when he ex- escapes entirely by accident. Mm-hmm. Like, no, no, there's no sneaky Michael Myers. No, yeah, exactly. He how, doesn't do anything. How he gets out of that meat, meat wagon that these two guys just fuck up yeah. by themselves. And he ends up, as, you know, he, he ends up escaped rather than escaping. 
if they weren't talking about fucking a dead corpse, they might be alive. <laughs> but as I well, guess it's dead also, and again, corpse it... is kind of redundant, isn't it? I, I could just choose one or the other. I don't know. I, for some reason, in the context of a Rob Zombie movie, that that is an important distinction. <laughs> a dead corpse. But I also think... You, you talk about diluting the Michael mystique. I think also diluting the distinctiveness of Michael because yeah. uh, I, this iteration of Michael in this film, I think, plays more like a Jason. Mm-hmm. Especially, particularly a kind of Friday, Friday the 13th Part 2 Jason, the, the, the wilderness horror version. The bag, the, you know, the, the pillowcase on the head. Yeah, right. Version. Yeah, for the first time that's ever, there's a director here. that's going to choose to just show us his face. And hear lot. him speak. And hear him speak. And, yeah. gr- and hear him growl yeah. as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but that's the interesting thing. Because we've already heard him speak, is it jumping the shark? <laughs> right. Or is it just kind of, you know, tiptoeing over the shark that you've already jumped on? Mm-hmm. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking <laughs> Halloween too. <laughs> Like all of our single sequels, it's a 2009 film directed by Rob Zombie. I mean, whatever. Rob Zombie. He did the other Halloween, House of a Thousand Corpses. Recently, he did The Munsters. Whatever. And he's really ramping up to that towards the end of this movie. Yeah, you think? He's essentially pitching his version of The Munsters with that ghost family. That's true. Yeah. I mean, I think it was... I think he thinks I think it's it was Twin Peaks, but it comes. Yes, off like that's the a thing. Bad version it it of the does. Monsters. Like this movie does feel like it's got a Twin Peaks complex, doesn't it? Absolutely, yes. But hundred percent. But to me, it's uh, it, it's so funny because I literally just the other night I watched uh, Eraserhead, and then I had to watch this. <laughs> I can't believe that you're suffering from COVID, and. <laughs> You decide to sit down and watch, of all films, Eraserhead. I know. A movie that can only make you feel worse. I know. About your own body. (laughs) At a time when you need to feel good about your own body. It can't possibly. You want to see a tiny little kind of, you know, an underdeveloped baby being... Spermazoa Being dissected with its... This innard spraying out like uh, silly string. Yeah. But it. Oh, well, good for you. But more than anything, it made me realize maybe who Rob Zombie thinks he is and, of course, who he is not. Absolutely. He's going for Lynch, but he's he's not getting to to the Lynch level of surrealism. No, yeah. He wants to be a cinematic cinematic surrealist like Lynch. But he does. He doesn't. But you know what the he, problem he, is? It's the, all surface level. The, yeah, it's all surface level, and really, I think it was just a way to keep his nepotism going, and keep his wife in his movie. It's my pretty much my first note. Working overtime to get his wife back in the film. Yeah. But anyway, give us some stats before we get. Yeah. There. Uh, well, this movie, despite both of us saying it's better than the first movie, this movie goes down by I think three or four percent to 25 percent on rotten tomatoes okay budget of 15 million dollars an opening weekend of 16.3 million dollars 
in the USA, 33.3 million, and in the world, 39.4 million. Can I skip to the end for a second? Of the movie? Yeah. Okay. At the end of this movie, credits roll, and the Halloween uh-huh. theme starts, and it's only yes. then that I think to myself, oh, this was supposed to be a Halloween movie. Yeah. That 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 music needs to be there for that exact reminder. Yeah. Because otherwise it feels you so far removed from a Halloween movie. Because you know I don't remember hearing that music until the final credits. Uh, if it is, it's once or twice, Max. Yeah. I think there's an I, but like I low, remember th- low and, and not yes and not yeah, like maybe okay orche- maybe like orchestral or yeah. you know um, acoustic, but not it's not, not the bringing John, Michael out John on Carpenter the gurney in all turn a synthesizer yeah yeah <laughs> John Carpenter puts on the synthesizer goes off get a sandwich. Halloween theme, um, <laughs> which is you know what we all want and love. Yeah. Well, but this is I I totally agree with you. It's so far removed from what we know to be Halloween, and yet at the same time, we can't transcend the template of Halloween too. And this is not just Rob Zombie's problem; it's also David Gordon Green's problem yeah. with both Halloween and Halloween Kills. Keep going back to that hospital. <laughs> Do you give him any credit go... for uh... doing that faster? Yeah, I give. I give. I... I, I like that narrative choice here. I think they get to the meat of the hospital stuff quicker and get out of the hospital faster than uh, than Halloween, the original Halloween. So I was. agree with all of that, but I also kind of take umbrage that you have this long, extended 20, 25 minute sequence that turns out to be a dream. Is it? Is it all a dream? Yeah. Is that is that canon? <laughs> I thought that was unresolved, and that some of it could be a dream, and some of it's. If it really is a dream, then it. I gotta say, that's my mistake but not I... for not knowing that, and it will automatically go to the bottom of the list. Congratulations, Pink Panther Two. Yeah, so that's my. That's, You've avoided that's the that thing ignominy. I was gonna say. If... Is that there's a lot of okay. shit at the beginning of this movie that shows me what a bad filmmaker he is, and that's one of them. Like I would say that the stuff at the house and with the uh, ambulance guys happened. Okay. But the movie would be telling me that that has to be part of her dream as well, right? Well, I thought it was um, it was ambiguous as to what was what she imagined, what part of this. Uh, front half hour she imagined and what really happened mm-hmm. and that it's never resolved. I'm not saying that's good, but that to me is a better alternative than it's all a dream. I think it's all a dream. Well, I think oh, everything well, in the hospital is a dream. But here's my other I don't want to consider point. that possibility. <laughs> <laughs> here's my because other... Because that's pretty... Pretty much my only positive for this movie is they 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 get to the meat of the hospital quicker and they get out of there quicker than than the the original Halloween two. That's really the only thing I can say in defense of this movie. Yeah, but for me, but if it's all a dream, then that's that's pointless. Right, that's what I mean. I think it is all a dream, and it's twenty five minutes of a dream. And so to me, it's this indulgent 
fuck you to Halloween 2 and the audience, but still saying, like, if you want to start your movie a year later, just fucking start your movie a year later. Except I, I do like, I like that split time frame. I like the, I think that's what the original Halloween 2 should have done, is wrapped up the events of of the the um, original Halloween in the same night. And then the second half should have been about a year later or sometime later. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying Rob Zombie does anything with that that's productive, but the, the uh, that is that's the best solution to having a follow-up to Halloween, I think, is to kind of split it in two. Mm. So that it's kind of Halloween 2. It's like all of Halloween 2 con- condensed into the first half and then uh, the beginning of Halloween 4. For the second half, hmm. like that—that's kind then of you the have perfect two front move, halves of perfect a movie. Halloween. T- <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you get—it's—it's uh, it's like you know when you get a loaf of bread, <laughs> yes, and you don't want to eat the end piece, yeah, right. It doesn't have two sides, <laughs> so you end up with two end pieces. <laughs> it just keeps going all the way down. Yeah, yeah, and you end up with two end pieces. That's kind of that's kind of what it is. Yeah. yeah, I can't I can't disagree with that. But there's a pot- potential for 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 the way that this movie is structured to really work. And yet, this movie doesn't capitalize on it. And then, of course, Halloween Kills yeah. definitely doesn't no. capitalize on it because it, it's uh, if anything even longer and protracted in its um, hospitalness than uh, than Halloween Two. Yeah, you, like you might leave the hospital, but your main character does not. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> unwise. Very unwise, yes. Uh, so, But here's my other point. Mm. They do go to the house. They're snapping yes. photos. The, like one of the first things you see is them fo- photographing Michael Myers. Right? Right. So you're telling us Michael Myers. The next thing we see is them loading a body mm-hmm. into the ambulance. I assume that's Michael Myers. Then we go back to six guys picking up Michael Myers. Oh, okay. And they're now putting a second, like, so I was like, who yeah. was in that first fucking bag? Oh, maybe it's Annie. Nope, turns out Annie's alive. So <laughs> there's all kinds of bad filmmaking going on in the front half of this yeah. Series like he doesn't literally know what to show the audience. Absolutely, that's frustrating. But I don't want to skip over the actual opening of this movie, Lionsgate. Well, no, we can we can maybe skip past that. Yeah, okay, thank you. Um, <laughs> oh, you're right. Lionsgate. The white. So the quote. Fuck. The quote. Yeah. yeah. So the movie begins with with the quote, and I. I, I Something uh, leaves me unconvinced at the veracity of this quote. Maybe it's because the last film began with a, a quote that was said from by a, a fictional from character. A fiction. I literally thought that there was going to be a, a Loomis thing that came out yeah. at the bottom of this quote. Yeah. That's what I thought was going to happen. But again, like, it's... It's a it's a bad version of a good idea, which is <laughs> Rob Zombie. That is pretty much his entire <laughs> right, repertoire. That's, that's his thing. Because 
Because Werner Herzog does this in his documentaries as well. He makes up quotes and then puts them at the beginning of his movies, which I think is fucking hilarious. Yeah. If you ever, like, I watched his masterclass, and he says, "So you will probably see that this quote is not real. I have not. It is. It comes. <laughs> I just. I. I completely create. I wanted to begin with a quote, so this was the quote that we began with. But it doesn't come from anywhere. I made it up." Um, <laughs> Did you listen so... to him on Conan? Conan show? No, I, I. A little bit of a little bit of that, but I'd heard a lot of what, what he said before. Yeah, <laughs> the, um, this magical moment where he says this television show is uh, who's lo- the honey boo boo. <laughs> of course, yeah. I mean, it's a you know he's most of TLC's output. Yeah. Much of TLC's output is like kind of Werner Herzog on a budget, you know? So funny. 90 Day Fiance is, you know, I I can imagine (laughs) Werner Herzog making making a documentary feature like that. But yeah, but like, you know, he that that, when he does it, it's genius and you don't mind that you've been tricked. Yeah. When Rob Zombie does it, it's just like he's not putting the work in. Well, it's the same for the Coens, right? (laughs) Like this, everything you're about to see is true. Yeah. Yeah. Except it's yeah. not. <laughs> except it's not, and 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 that is to reframe how you think about the movie, so it does something interesting. This does I, nothing. I love the story because... of somebody saying, "So uh, maybe it was one of the actors on Fargo that said, so tell me more about the story. Like what happened in the real story?'" <laughs> and Joel and Ethan Cohen were like, "Oh, it's not true." And he's like, "Well, you can't yeah. say that it was true if it wasn't." And he goes, "Why not? <laughs> mm-hmm. It's great." Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But I guess the the <laughs> this is the larger point is not that I I suspect it's not that the opening quote describing what the white horse means is probably bullshit. Like it even doesn't. I bet if you go online and search white horse, you'll get none of what is in yeah, that right. quote. But even taking that aside, why is there a white horse in this movie? That is never discussed or resolved no i mean it just has to do with the innocence lost i, I think he himself said it, it, okay it could have been anything it could have been a fire truck oh for fuck's sake yeah it's getting worse then, for you then it, then it shouldn't be a white horse <laughs> yeah right because he's basically he's coming <clears throat> out the gate saying the white horse is a very spe- has a very specific mythology around yeah. it. and then apparently he did this interview where, where he said it's like a, it's a MacGuffin. Oh, my God. So, but my bigger problem is, you know, like you said, it's never discussed, you know, within the, the scope of the movie. And so you're, you're not going to clue the audience in that way. So we don't even need this title card because we, no. we're going to get all no. the information we need visually anyway. So, and it hurts the kind of abstractness of it. Yeah, to right. Try and totally. Down exactly. What what the subtext of it is yes. before you've seen it in the film. <laughs> it's a pre footnote. And to me, that's the mark of of like somebody that doesn't know what he's doing because he doesn't feel comfortable oh, okay. with what he's doing because he felt like he had to explain it to the audience before the whole thing fucking started. He's too comfortable. He's too comfortable. Yeah, <laughs> way too fucking comfortable. <laughs> yeah and you know he's he wants to get sherry back in the film even though her character died in the mm-hmm. story so we've got to recast baby michael and flashback to the start of the first movie 
which, I mean, obviously it complicates thing in in a production sense because you've got to recast because you can't have the same actor. Why not? Cause... I mean, yeah, he's a couple years older, but <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I guess that's true as well. Come on, was there that much of but a difference? Also... But the bigger part is that. This going back to this stage of Michael, it 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 reconfuses everything because this is the stage that that if anything you want to pretend that this didn't happen. Right. In the yeah. Film, totally. Was this briefly innocent stage between him killing lots of people and killing lots of people where he was sane and speaking and like a normal kid. Yeah. Which we've never like when we talked about Halloween on the Patreon, uh, which you know you'll have to pay for, uh, but. <laughs> Just to to give you a give you a kind of preview of, of what that would be like, we talked about how this is the part of the story you can't rationalize. Yeah, right. It's like how he went from killer to normal kid back to killer. Well, and, and also why would you? So that's we're going the, back you know... to the source of what doesn't make sense about any of this, yeah. and that's the first thing we see. <laughs> <laughs> and then we then we rejoin Laurie, and we have the you know the bad filmmaking that you just talked about. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, again, we we we're, we're remaking Halloween, the original Halloween too, because we're picking up in real time, which yeah, again is a choice that. But I'll also the, say the reboots don't want to get away from in that in that uh, Sherry Moon zombie scene. She ends up talking about what we just read, anyway. <laughs> Like, you know, it's like 45 seconds later. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, anyway. One or the other, Rob, one or the other. And this is where I think, like, the opening, this film has both this flashback and then this opening scene. The film has more of a look to it than the original Halloween. Like, it's it's got a monochrome quality to it. It's got a wet color effect that he likes, which is distinctive. Again, wrong, but distinctive. (laughs) But... It's, it's it's more monochrome, and I do think it looks better. But to your point, I think that you were saying in the last movie, these movies are telling us that we're in present day, but they look like mm-hmm. movies from the seventies. Well, this is again like the movie cannot contain its own historical contradictions, and, yeah. and it just get this is an aspect of the film that just gets worse and worse because you can sort of you can almost play it off in Halloween but this movie wants to kind of move forward in time mm-hmm. whilst at the same time keeping a sense of timelessness but then they keep leaning into really specific aspects of certain historical periods yeah like like the health craze of the 90 like the 2000s the whole idea of putting like having whole grain pizza yeah, right. Like right, whole grain right, crust. Right. It's like it's like, well, that's that's a 2000s thing. That's like a contemporary thing yeah. that you're putting in there. But we're still watching black and white television, mm-hmm. you know, like <laughs> right, right. Somewhere in this world, the the uh, what do they call the what's the name of the band? The Moody Blues are doing a performance <laughs> for Ready Steady Go. I got that one. <laughs> yeah. But you know what I mean? like like you can't like it's not when you do timelessness, there has to be. It's it's about kind of everything has to be on one level. Abstract. Yeah, it all, yeah, yeah, it all has to be. There has to be a cohesion. You can't just time travel back and forth yeah. between the two, and the problem comes out. I think it's even stronger in this movie. Yeah, 
because he wants to have so many specific pulls from specific moments in time. Mm-hmm. Why do we have this scene with Brackett finding Lori in the road and talking to her just to jump to the hospital? Like she's, she cat- cool. she's catatonic and then she's screaming like a madman. Because yeah. she looks like a zombie. And this film's directed by Rob Zombie, so uh. he knows people will think zombie and then think, oh, Rob Zombie, he's cool. He's the director. Oh, I'm dumb. I should have got that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not dumb. You're too clever. Other other Halloween sequels work around depictions of Laurie getting surgery. Not Rob Zombie. No, no yeah. he's going to go into every single excision in extreme close-up. Yeah, that's my note. I mean... You know the amount of porn hospital. This guy lore. is so off the mark. Yeah, he's so off the mark in everything he tries to do. Mm-hmm. We're in agreement. <laughs> <laughs> I do not like it. <laughs> it's why it's at the bottom of my list. Yeah, we get it. We get a mini <laughs> Deadwood reunion here with Callie Day. We really do. Bunker. Yeah. And it just reminds me, there's so many great actors wasted in these couplets. Yeah, a couplet of, of films. Pretty much like half the cast of Deadwood and God knows how many others. I mean, coming up, I uh, I wrote um, nobody, even by 2009, knew what to do by with Octavia Spencer. That really pissed me off. I mean, I just I feel I feel so sorry for her because they just people just keep casting her as nurses yeah. in in films. And it's like, it feels, it gets to the point where she should just be in a hospital set and movies should come to her. <laughs> right. Logistically, that would make more sense mm-hmm. than what we've been doing, where she has to go through the rig roll of putting on the hearse's outfit, <laughs> going to wherever they're filming. Yeah, it's, um, uh, yeah, and you, we've already covered that, you know, one of Rob Zombie's things is that he has to find characters to latch lascivious behavior onto. Yeah. And in this scene, it's the two meat wagon guys. Richard Brake is back in our life. Yeah. And the, um, and then there's like a barrage of obscenity. Yeah. The guy just keeps saying, fuck. Uh, and so this... and that's the same as in the original. It's like an orgasm of obscenities that Rob Zombie likes to have in his movies. But, what is the choice that Zombie's making in this moment? Because he keeps hyper-focusing in extreme close-up on Richard Brake's mouth as he's talking about fucking a corpse. By the way, it sounds like they're talking about he likes fucking the sheriff's daughter, which is why I thought she was in the meat wagon. I had seen this movie, but forgot that she didn't die in the first movie. Mm-hmm. So I figured that was her body they were talking about fucking. So none of this, by the way, makes sense, because, by the way, she's not dead. But there is a version of the original movie where she does die, and I, I presume that some of these scenes are still riffing off that. Wait, what? Or maybe I'm just be- maybe I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. Well, she's alive in this movie, so he she made that is. choice. <laughs> but if this is all a dream, then none of this matters anyway. Oh. Is this a dream yet? In your reading of the movie? Uh, I I don't think we're to the dream yet. Okay, okay. I think once we get to the hospital, no- we're firmly in dream world. 
There's a nod to Halloween Resurrection here with the beheading of the coroner. There is Halloween Resurrection, and there is so much Halloween 5 in this movie. <laughs> well, these two goofy meat wagon guys are, are part of that, of, yes. Yeah, the clown, uh, car, clown car cop. But at any rate, <laughs> they, they run into a cow, and apparently it was the strongest <laughs> cow in the history of the world because... <laughs> It's a shame. 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 His life had to end that way. Yeah. The Guinness Book of Records people were just getting there. You know, uh, poor Dayton Cali. Uh, boy, did his face. Sorry, take it. Dayton Cali, not Cali Dayton. Sorry. Is that what you said? Uh, yeah, I lifetimed his name. All right. Dayton Ca- Cali Dayton sounds like an actor from a lifetime movie. <laughs> uh, boy, that that uh, steering wheel just fucked up his face. Mm-hmm. But this is just sort of more gore porn. Yeah. What year? What year is uh, Hostile? It's about this time. Is that I'm, this I would time? Say, I'm I'm gonna say 2008. So maybe that's an influence then. There were two of them as well. Yeah. Um, or two cinematic. Um, and they've got a few video sequels. Yeah, no, I, completely. And he, you know, he wants he wants to be Eli Roth. He wants to be Tarantino, and he has about you know a tenth of the talent of of uh, either of them combined. Mm-hmm. Two thousand five, two thousand seven, and two thousand eleven. Oh. Holy shit! Okay, one, That's two, and three. Than I thought. Yeah. Wow. But that means that means that he that zombies coming late to the party. <laughs> well, it's you know it's the fashionable thing to do. I guess. Yeah. Uh, he thinks. And this is where the white horse shit begins. Yeah. He's just yeah. like, okay, so ethereal fantasy is now part of this film for some yeah, reason. Yeah, for some reason. And the funny part is, you know, I mean, we already said it, but it's all surface. At this point, are, aren't we just seeing Sherry Moon Zombie? At some point, he's going to see himself with her at all times. Right, yeah. But I think in this moment, it's just her, right? Yeah, it's just her. Yeah. Maybe even just the horse. Does he see her, or just, or the, is she with the horse? She's with she the horse. Riding the horse. Yeah, she's okay, with she's the horse. Someone has to be with the dream horse. It's at, at all quite. Times. It's at quite a distance. <laughs> no, it's a dream horse. It can go wherever the fuck it wants. Yeah. You've got to have a handler on set. You know, if you're gonna do this shit, at least have it made by TriStar. Yeah, <laughs> you know? the, the horse just kind of like he sees it in the distance, and it just hear. <laughs> Well, he's going to cut off Brake's head, then he does see the horse, and he walks away. Next we see Laurie staggering around the hospital, like like limping Jamie Lee, but far worse. He's dragging an IV around on the Yeah, right, exactly. Again, they've doubled down on the thing that didn't work about Halloween 2. They've added equipment to it. And Annie, as it turns out, not dead. And then we get Octavia. Yeah. Oh, by the way, one of my... Because... Also, Caroline... Also, uh, uh, there's a horror cameo in here. Caroline Williams. Yeah. Who is another... Who, from Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Yeah. So it's a horror sequel cameo, mm-hmm. specifically. I, uh... <laughs> I thought it was very funny. So I have the, uh... Whatchamacallit? Closed caption on. <laughs> More fool you. Okay. And uh, Octavia Spencer walks out of the room because, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, at least in Halloween 2 of 1980, 
81? Yeah, 81, I think. 81. They, uh, they, there's a reason, like, the, the power's gone out, like, they're low-staffed, that kind of thing. They yeah. kind of talk about that. In this movie, there's none mm-hmm. of that. She's just wandering around the halls, like you said, with her equipment, rolling down the fucking halls, mm-hmm. looking for pain meds, and out comes Octavia Spencer, and she's like, oh, nurse, and she turns around, and her face is slit, and Michael walks out, and he's going to start really going to town in Octavia Spencer. But my closed captions, as she starts getting stabbed, said, Octavia sobs. Octavia cries. <laughs> Wait a minute. Why is the, why are the closed captions calling her, calling her by her real name? I don't know. <laughs> Rob Zombie's like, you're just going to be called Octavia because I can't remember another name. Did you notice, by the way, because there's a couple of moments in that stabbing scene, which is gratuitous and, you know way over the top and this is where he's starting his grunting mm-hmm. but there's a couple of moments of close-up on octavia spencer's face yeah where i'm like god bless her she is fucking putting in work that nobody should be asked to put in covered in blood lying on a floor for i'm sure hours it's like nurse part bingo she's just like yeah. okay so i now have 15 nurse bit parts under my ro- <laughs> under my belt can you give me a lead can you give me a leading role in something and that's how the help happened maybe <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I guess i guess the one thing they do in the way of explaining how he got in is the storm yeah there's only one thing i really liked really liked in all of this because and i i read about it on the imdb notes there's a mo you know so right after this laurie is kind of doing the 81 halloween thing of like running through the hospital and trying to get away and finds kind of a backdoor alley and that i mean he seems to be right on her heels and then she like you know she she walks like a hundred yards to a fence Mm. can't get over the fence goes to a door and meanwhile, he's no longer within uh, walking space of her, and she gets into that little security hut. Mm-hmm. Then Michael walks out because <laughs> he can't see her get yeah. into the hut. But there's a moment where it's raining, and they do this fairly close-up shot of Michael's face with the mask on, and I notice the rain yeah. is horizontal, and I was like, oh. That's interesting. I think maybe that was real rain. And then I read it was real rain. Like they really had a problem with weather during the shoot. Oh, so okay. they just, you know. <laughs> so once again, the, the, the aspects of the movie I'm giving Rob Zombie credit for happened completely by accident. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Great. I, t- I tell you, uh, you know, this this is not accidental. Good bit of casting. Richard Reel as Buddy. As Buddy, yeah. He's great in this scene. Very, yeah. I love, I like that they, I, 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 like when I first saw him, I was like, oh, this guy's going to be a piece of shit. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> and the fact that he wasn't really. But because it's a Rob Zombie help, film, you expect but, him to be a piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and the fact that, you know, that, that, that instead of going with he's a piece of shit and he's going to leave her to the mercy of Michael is that he's trying to help her, but he's just bungling the job a bit. Yeah. Leads to some kind of quite effective comedy horror, which is not something you expect in a Rob, Rob Zombie mm-hmm. movie. But I think it's more Richard Real kind of, again, 
like playing another security guard. Yeah, right. You know, another security guard. <laughs> Again, they should just bring the movie to him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, but then you know we get more house smashing, and it, it, you know if you're watching these movies in continuity, this is the second time in less than thirty minutes we've had a sustained house smashing set piece. Yeah. Um, In addition, so this is this is the moment where uh, I I would have woken up <laughs> in a bef- before this in a nightmare in a real nightmare, you know. <laughs> oh well, I think all of us would have been would have tapped out of this nightmare much earlier. Yeah. <laughs> not not because we're scared, because we're bored. <laughs> you said this is the part you like. <laughs> I know. Yeah, both things can be true. Okay, fine. Yeah, so yeah, well, it was all a dream. Yeah, a long extended. Well, dream. I don't think that's just, I don't think that's established. Well, I agree with you, but only because he's a bad filmmaker. I, wrote I think at that's this his point, intent, we, though. I wrote at this point: Are we supposed to write off the hospital as a nightmare, or just where we left the action? And I don't know if that's ever resolved. Like something happened in between that would contradict the last thing we saw happen. Yeah, but there's no but, reference to it. There's no reference to him. There's no reference to it being a nightmare as well. Her waking up screaming. That's a reference to a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> and don't forget the standard scream. <laughs> but anyway, okay. well, I'll, you know, okay. Uh, I, think it's un- I think it's unresolved, but... But you can be wrong. I don't put it past... I don't put it past Rob Zombie to have done a 25-minute dream sequence. Yes, sir. Yes, I mean, even sir. The Sopranos didn't pull that off. <laughs> Remember the test dream? Yeah. That was, that was a shaky episode. <laughs> All right. Why don't we take a break? Yeah, yeah. And then we'll go into present day, question mark? Maybe. Present day, but of when? 1978, maybe? <laughs> 1970 90. <laughs> All right. Planet of the Apes already. We'll be right back, everyone, right after this. to think I know something about beer, but nowadays even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need, the Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beer. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. 
And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. You're most likely listening to music that this movie did not earn. <laughs> this movie pirated that music, even yeah. though it was even though it was allowed to use it, it still pirated it. <laughs> that was my overall thought when that music started. I was like, "What well, this movie doesn't deserve that music." Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. It's almost like giving it the John Carpenter seal of approval, which mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. Did this movie? Did this movie get? Probably not. I know that. <laughs> I I can answer that question. I'm pretty sure that this is the movie I read. Zombie offered Carpenter a cameo, and he said, "A new thank you." Okay, makes sense. Yeah. Was it a, ca- a sort of was that a, a sort of cameo come direct my movie cameo or yeah. what was it? To end that dream sequence, I said I wrote down jerky camera movement and surprise, it's a dream. Mm. Well, we're, it's a year later, and uh, Laurie we're talking is to Margot Kidder. Yeah, Laurie is morphed into a woman who has the exact same tastes as Rob Zombie. Yes, in right. both music and fashion. Mm-hmm. So uh, she found that new way of life fast. You know what's funny is I read this thing about what Zombie wanted to do with Lori and have her with all kinds of psychological problems, drug problems, mm-hmm. alcohol problems, uh, just a complete mess of a person. And then somebody said, no, you can't do that. And he's like, all right, well, we'll we'll reel it back and she'll be like way more in control of her life. And I thought, this is the more in control of her life I version know, yeah. of the story you wanted to tell? That's insane. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's interesting because this is because of Jamie Lee Curtis leaving the franchise. This is the part we never saw in the original continuity, right? Is that? Yeah. Like, what happened to Laurie a year later? We eventually saw it in H2O. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that's well we more never than learned... a year, you know? Yeah, no, but we never learned what she ha- that she learned. You never learned when she learned she was Michael's sister. We never saw that moment. Yeah. And, you know, we only get kind of exposition from in Halloween 4 about what, you know, happened yeah. to her life after Halloween 2. So I like the idea of... Again, I think horror sequels with, you know, the final girl, what happens to the final girl as the basis of your sequel is a good, generally a good idea. And this, you know, the consequences of her being, um, of what happened to her. But again, the problem, you know, the, the, the thing that they did differently in the original movie was to have her be orphaned. Mm-hmm. So now they have to deal with the con- the fallout from that, basically. Yeah, <laughs> Which right. Which is not something that was in the original uh formula so um she now has to live with the brackets the brackets yeah uh and rob zombie sure loves his dysfunctional family breakfast scenes (laughs) boy this is the third one in two films yeah people cooking egg people cooking eggs and um well we haven't even gotten to the pizza yet so there's a dinner too well, they talk about the pizza in this scene. They do. Because yeah. this, is, this is where they decide that they're uh, choosing the... <laughs> this is where we're letting on their uh, 
pizza decision making process. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like that health craze is so much of the time that mm-hmm. you can't help but think of it as a movie that takes place in the early two thousands. Whole week, but yeah, then then we're into whole wheat crust, yeah, and egg whites as well. They're eating egg whites, yeah, which. Uh, Again, uh, another reason to join our pa- Patreon. Mike uh, gives you his recipe for scrambled eggs. <laughs> yeah. So. You um, want to know how to do it right. Yeah. Don't tell him because it's behind a paywall. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when you, you know, like when you subscribe to the New York Times so you just so you can get one recipe from their <laughs> food section. Yeah. And you're like, I got four months of this shit. Um, <laughs> uh yeah, yes, and then for some said, reason you're always at your limit of the New York Times monthly articles. What's that all about? Don't I get six a month? What's going on? Can Sorry, it doesn't include recipes. It only <laughs> includes badly written editorials. Bunch of bullshit. Margot Kidder, as you said, when she turns up in the movie, it feels like Muppet movie level of cameos. There is, well, and this it's not the only one, though, because pretty soon Howard Hessman is going to rear his yeah, I, I, head. Yeah, that's what I know? mean. Like, it, it's like it's like Muppet, you know, it's the kind of the way that they do cameo, celebrity cameos in Muppet movies. It's, it's like, crazy. But unfortunately, you know, the characters aren't Muppets. <laughs> There's no Dr. Teeth making a pres- his presence known. Howard Hessman could have easily been substituted with, with Dr. Teeth. Right. With no loss to this movie and only gain. <laughs> and so this is where the kind of celebrity cameo thing just becomes distra- full-on distracting, I think. Well, and also because, you know, Margot Kidder... First of all, this is a therapy session that I don't know that would ever happen as this therapy session happens. Mm. Like, it felt like so surface of a, of a therapy yeah, session. And this clearly isn't their first visit. Yeah, right. right. When this stuff would be discussed. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, She'd be in hypnosis by now or something. You're a British person. Does PG tips mean something to you that it doesn't? It certainly does. It it means it means it means even more than you might think. Because this is the point at which uh, I realized that New Loomis and I drink the same brand of tea, (laughs) and he takes it just how I take it. Should it be sizzling hot? Yep, sizzling hot and only a little milk. All right. That's it. That's the way to drink PG tips. It is it's and the so, best um best name brand tea in Britain by a mile. It's lovely. And, and you're uh, so you're a crazy doctor now? Yeah. Well, um, I'm yeah, both. Yeah. I'm a doctor and I'm crazy. PG tips is also I was also attracted to it because uh they they used um chimps to advertise it on TV. Well, that would that would get my endorsement. The commercials were like chimps doing doing human ma- manual labor, so it'd be like moving a chimps moving a piano and stopping to have a cup of tea. And... Yeah. Why don't we tell them that it's all the, the all the chimps we sent to space and come back super smart? <laughs> Pretty much, but they were the but those chimps were owned by the people who made the tea. Brook Bond that was also in like a chimp sanctuary. Okay. Atta- anyway, so then <laughs> go and you, d- d- take this tab and go and do what you want with it. Uh, 
we got we got we got we got bigger fish to fry than we do than the, the origins <laughs> of PG tips. Uh, but anyway, I thought that was funny that oh we 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 drink the same brand of tea and we have it exactly the same way. Uh, but he's new Loomis now, not old Loomis. Mm-hmm. Except that old Loomis wasn't like old Loomis. So no, yeah. <laughs> There was no old Loomis. Old Loomis is Donald Pleasance. There was nothing, and now there's. Hadn't new he Loomis. already written a book in the first movie too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, exactly. This is just where they doubled down on the potential to make him a Doctor Phil type character. Yeah, but well, yeah, you're absolutely right. We're already in the world of true crime literary literary celebrity. It's just that this mm-hmm. film does even more with it. Yeah, and one year later, Michael is out there in the wilderness. Just moving about, and then you know that's like several several of the Halloween sequels employ this timeline and scenario, right? It's like we can't think of anything better to do with him than just stick him out in the wilderness, and come back a year later. Mm -hmm. I guess it's the Halloween Five of it all that you were talking about. Yeah, it felt very much like that voodoo resurrection in this non voodoo resurrection and. Or is it six? Is it not till six when Paul Rudd kind of starts talking about the, the yeah the cult the specific of the yeah the specific day of it all? Oh, the Samain and yeah, and, yeah. and the well, it depends. It depends on how much you think they. It's kind of like he's a coming. he's a clock that that winds up for killing only on that day. Yeah, I think that's in six. Anyway, I think it's heavily implied in four and five as well that that yeah. Uh, that's the case that it, that that's um i mean the first time full... we're going to hear about sam hain is early so true you know uh have a whole movie about it essentially in <laughs> yeah. the middle yeah how so uncle meets java hole uh howard hessman mhm and so yeah. it seems to me that they're in their own little pre uh um, pre-Hulu all-female reboot of High Fidelity. Yeah, right. <laughs> and it, it seems to me that this movie didn't... That this movie knew that Annie was supposed to die because yeah. Laurie has another peer group of friends <laughs> yeah. at the record store or wherever they are here. Yeah. Uh, separate and and that you actually could have had an interesting dynamic if Annie had died of like what's yeah. Laurie's mm-hmm. life with, like just living with Sheriff Brackett. Yeah, it's trying to do too much too quickly. So we've got two yeah. new female friends in addition to the survivors of the last film, which is pretty much everyone. Yeah, right. You're trying to push through Halloween four to six in the space mm-hmm. of you know one one sequel. And um, and then at some point you're gonna feel like you have to give the due to the people, the few people that did die in the last movie, because the dad of the, the other girl is yeah. gonna show up at a book signing. Right. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And that, there's several instances in this and the last movie where women get together and they talk about their sex parts. Yeah. Right. And it's just this this male idea of what women talk about when they're alone. Yeah. Uh, and again, this is something that even David Lynch has done better. <laughs> like in in the scene, I don't even remember the scene in Inland Empire, which is which there are many of, and they don't connect together. So there's no reason why you would remember it. Yeah. Of uh, 
it's just like topless women sitting around and groping themselves and saying tits and ass. <laughs> and it's sort of like, even when David Lynch does it, it's pornographic, but it's self-aware. Yeah. When Rob Zombie does it, it doesn't have the self-aware part. <laughs> yeah, you'd think I'd remember that from Inland Empire, but I don't remember anything <laughs> from that. I know what you're watching tonight. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot before you get to that, though. I, I don't know. I don't know if you're going to be able to maintain your boner. With all the other scenes around that. There's some pretty pretty damaging stuff in there, as far as I remember. It's oh, about fuck. eight minutes of a record scratching, I, I seem to remember as well. That sounds like him. That's not that's not a uh, not one of my favorite clinches. <laughs> but even that is leagues leagues above this. I wrote down that Loomis goes full rage at the press conference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good times. It's... Just so that we could dislike him even more. Yeah, it's his his sort of... Uh... It seems that Zombie's main mission is to alienate the audience from <laughs> Dr. Loomis. But I can't think of a reason no. why he wants to do that. Yeah, it, it, he's... Is it just because it. we were so on his side for, you know, six movies? Well, five yeah and he did and and he, when when he was played by donald pleasance and in the context of those sequels he'd do a bunch of crazy yeah amoral shit and we still liked him and we still liked him but here we we, we never get the chance to like him because you know he he lashes out mm -hmm. he's clearly got this unprocessed survivor guilt um and all he wants to do is continue to exploit michael yeah, for his own financial gain. So again, Doctor Phil, and not just Michael in this movie. I mean, he's exploiting everyone. Yes, Lori, Lori too, and especially. Yes. After I believe promising not to, right, or at least he hearing does, about yeah. hearing about well, Brackett's promise. Not not to skip ahead, but this doesn't seem plausible that the secret of her sisterhood could have been kept. Kept a lid on that until now. That she would read about it in a book, but whatever. Yeah, right. I guess we just have to take that at face value. Well, we've got more people from fucking Sons of Anarchy showing up. Mm-hmm. With those those hick vigilantes, they're like combining the words of Pulp Fiction and Sons of Anarchy. It's this yeah. kind of post post deliverance mail. That you get in certain movies that that, <laughs> that zombies trying to latch um, latch onto, but before that we get this is where the the white horse and the mother come back, and we get more baby Michael. Yeah, and it's like it's like Rob Zombie is not done with, or at least can't let go of the film he never made, mm -hmm. which was like the 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 whole of the beginning of the Halloween whole of the beginning. Was, he wanted was supposed to, to be yeah the whole movie and then the studio made him do the second half as a remake of Halloween. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he's let go of that given the choices he makes in this movie to go back to that again Agreed. and again, especially when it doesn't make sense in continuity. I think I it's mean, this, this beating in the headlights is filmed really well. Like the cinematography is, is kind of coming yeah, on leaps and bounds. All of that's fine. But the second he, he the shows up down, with that, with that antler truck, you know what's going to yeah. happen. Well, that's a good kill ruined by bad aesthetics. This is where, you know, the wobbly camera work and the needless slow motion takes over. Mm -hmm. 
but the baseline cinematography of the scene is much better it's than good. anything yeah. in, in how in Halloween. I do like the I don't know about like, but there there's that notion of the one person who the the woman who's saying sorry and asking yeah. if he's all right and that kind of thing and there's just no mercy for anyone, you know. Yeah, you always, innocent. You always wonder, in, like in a movie like this, will they be spared? And of course, just it's a hard no. Innocent blondes getting caught up in other people's abuse is basically the story of both of these films. Yeah, right. And this is an, just another another sort of incidental example that's <laughs> taking place. But I, at one point, I think it's in this moment when Michael. I can't remember if it's before he kills her or after her. There's got a kind of a close-up shot of him where mm -hmm. that now the hair on the mask is kind of standing up in an almost flat-top sort of way, and it's becoming yeah. unintentionally funny. Yeah. And I have a lot of unintentionally funny notes in this movie. Yeah. Like, there's, there's no way he understood what he was making was no. comical. Yeah. Yeah, and I think when we get to the the uh, the Halloween court scene later on in the movie, I think that's mm -hmm. the most unintentionally comic uh, imagery in the movie. All right. Speaking so, of, oh, he eats a Michael eats a dog. Yeah. Or he kills a dog. Or does but he I kill can't... a dog? Or he, he kills he... a dog and eats the dog. Eats okay. the inside of the dog. He is the inside of the dog. So obviously that's a callback. But I couldn't. One, I noted that, of course, Zombies shows us him doing that, as opposed to just, sh like, Carpenter would show us see yeah. characters who are looking at it. Uh-huh. Uh, two, I couldn't understand whether or not they were going for some sort of psychic connection, because Laurie all oh, of a sudden definitely. throws up. Definitely. Right? Yeah. So and they're so just doing full... and And... Who's holding a hair? Daniel Harris. So yeah, right. Clearly, they 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 you know this is supposed to be a retread of Jamie's um, psychic connection in yeah. the end of four and the entirety of five. So there's another five connection for me. Also, before that, there's this moment when they're having the pizza dinner, mm -hmm. and they're upset because it's not wheat crust, and she hopes no meat is leaking onto her pineapple. Mm-hmm. And there's a cross-cutting between... <laughs> yes, I have that too. The animal between, slaughter. Yeah, the, between the slaughter and uh, Sheriff Brackett eating his meat, which seems indulgent. Well, and it's belaboring... On top, on, yeah. on top of that, there's this huge speech about who's the original starving Marvin. Is it Lee Marvin? And then they go into like who Lee Marvin is because the kids don't know. All I wrote down was this is not exactly Tarantino I dialogue. Do you know and what that's I have what I down? think they're going for. Do you know what I had written down? Go. Ursat's Tarantino dialogue. Okay. So we're on the same page. Uh, listen, after having done nothing interesting and compelling in the last film, I'm glad Brad Dourif got the chance to do his Lee Marvin impression. Mm -hmm. um, again, like, as we were saying in the previous episode about just let Kevin Pollock do his William Shatner impression because they'll leave a less bad taste in the mouth of watching <laughs> Usual Suspects. Uh, but as to the cross-cutting, intercutting animal slaughter with pizza, I think the problem is it belabors, not that it's 
in in the right hands, it's a, it would be a good choice, but it belabors a point for editing that can simply be made in the scene itself. Yeah, right. And that's why a good filmmaker would have noticed that <laughs> the potential in the scene to make the same point without having to resort to cross cutting. All right. Because right after this, after all of this, it's like Laurie is now dreaming the white horse shit, right? Yeah, this is so Sherry Sherry Moon Zombie is in uh, Vampira, Vampira Funeral yeah. Club. Uh, they want to do this lynching dreamscape thing, but it's too campy for that. Mm-hmm. They can't get away from the campiness of it. Again, it feels more like the monsters. The Halloween court is like a, I described it as a, like a return to Oz themed 90s music video. <laughs> is what it feels like to me but i feel a lot of that is unintended mm-hmm. and you know the car the then we go to cartoon skeletons which yeah. i thought was maybe rob zombie's way of saying he knows what he does is cartoonish and childlike but probably not i don't think so i don't think so either. i think he just likes the aesthetic of that cartoon mm. that a teenager in 2009 would never be watching well, she's, you know, she's going to switch over to, <laughs> she's going to switch over to the Ed Sullivan show in a couple of minutes. So. Yeah, so don't worry. And watch, and watch the, the debut of Buddy Holly and the Crickets. <laughs> and uh, this is what, I, I, I wasn't tracking whether we were doing dates, but I noticed that they put up the date o- October 30th at this point, which feels very Halloween 3. Yeah, right. By the way, <laughs> this is where we are in time. It's like, great. Tell me when it becomes By the way, relevant. Tuesday. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> By the way, Tuesday. It's like just it's like just tell us when it becomes relevant. Yeah. Well, because it at this point it, it feels like he's trying to do act breaks, but he's not. No. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh But I Lula... wondered if he thought he was. I think, well, why would you put that in otherwise? Yeah. It's like, it is just like, it's exactly what he says. It's like, so the director kind of coming on the screen and going, by the way, Tuesday, and then leaving. <laughs> doesn't, oh. oh, well, this would have been after that, but doesn't Tarantino do that in The Hateful Eight? Doesn't he suddenly start talking over his own movie, telling you what's happened in between scenes? Seem to remember he did that in the hateful Ooh, eight. I don't like that. Well, this didn't work out. Huh. And Loomis is getting worse and worse. We see him flirting with the anchor woman. Yeah. So basically, basically, it's interesting because it feels like Rob Zombie just can't be bothered to do a redemption arc for for Loomis. Mm-hmm. Because everything is set in place for him to redeem himself, and they go <laughs> in, the, in the opposite direction. Yeah. He, they just have him. Basically, he could have re- he redeemed himself at the end of the first movie, but they brought him back to life and make him more of a jerk than he was then. Right, he was a bigger asshole. Yeah, <laughs> he learned no lessons. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think it's it that's out of um, laziness rather than intention. Yeah, I think so. And he, you know, Rob Zombie admits that he was flummoxed with what to do with Loomis. He didn't yeah. think he could do the same as the original did with him. And his instincts Clearly. are right, but he should have still tried to do something if you're going to have him as a character in your movie. Mm-hmm. I've got a note here, which is so long ago since I saw this, I don't quite know what it means, so maybe you can put okay. it in context for me. Cunning away to herself. 
and then I put never seen this before in a film. <laughs> Cutting Where away. They they something happens. I think it must be Laurie. Yeah. The film cuts away to herself, like they do a cutaway, but it's to the same thing that we just saw. Is it? Because I, I have a note that she's dreaming. Michael's dreams. Okay. Did did they cut from her in to the her. dream to her waking up? Maybe. I've seen that before. Huh. But I don't know if I've seen like, I don't know. It just seemed confusing to me. And I just the next made thing I have it. is we're going to the rabbit in red. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is where <laughs> this is where there's like. Rob Zombie just doesn't know where to start because when you've got strobe lighting, relentless cutting, and dream imagery, we we can do without the curse words at this point. Like, I get it. <laughs> Excess. We understand. You want to make people sick. I get it. <laughs> yeah. You've done that. Now please stop. It's all you've been doing. It's all. Yeah, absolutely. Although you know? in the middle of this, there's a scene with Laurie talking to a teddy bear. Oh, yeah, Which yeah. is sort of like the first genuinely affecting moment we've had from Laurie after one and a half movies. It's the first time where you're like, oh, I, I might be able to relate to this version of the character. Mm-hmm. But that's, I mean, that's after one and a half movies and and it doesn't last, so. Right. But it's just interesting. In addition, that... she kind of makes it sound like Cartman talking to Polly Prissy Pants. So... <laughs> It oh great! Now that's ruined for me. me. Okay, excellent. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> and when Brackett and Loomis are reunited again, they're still estranged. We continue with the choice of making them constantly at odds with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, now he's mad about the second book that he's reading. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and this would have been the perfect opportunity for them to get over their antagonism and have them work together in the film. Again, doubles down on the. It's like it's like sure. you said you weren't. You were like you said you were done with the books, and you wrote another book. So they're back to square one. Right. <laughs> Their relationship has not progressed. No, because he keeps writing. So presumably, if they did a third one of these movies, it would be. You really had to finish that book trilogy, didn't you? You know that was in the cards. Like they wanted to make another one. Sure. If this happened, why not? Yeah. If Halloween ends happened. Clearly, there's but it's no funny cap to on like, what you can do with the series. It's funny to read about it because Zombie had such a terrible time on the first movie. So it seems like a miracle he decided to come back for this because they were going to move forward without him. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, well, fuck that. I'll do it. Like, you know. Hmm. He's, he's sort of like, huh, got that movie about the white horse I wanted to make. I yeah, exactly. I yeah. Insert that into this movie. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Oh, mercy. And then uh, my next note is uh, Daniel Roebuck as Big Lou. Yeah. Who I can't remember, but I think was a character who was left on the cutting room floor of the original Halloween. You see him oh, briefly. Right? Okay. I think he's Iggy's in there. This so this this these scenes the, these um because this is flashback, right? We're going back to Sherry stripping aren't we or oh no no this is present no. day but he's taking yeah. his revenge on big on big lou because she was he was sleeping with his mother right or something like that something like yeah 
or exploiting her or, or whatever, um, right. or pimping her out or something. Yeah. And it feels like a scene from Halloween Kills, but obviously... It did feel like that. Yeah, you're right. Obviously, that's not happened yet. So I was thinking about where, what are they pulling from? And I thought, it reminds me also like a, a less good version of those opening scenes of Kill Bill Part 2, where it's uh, Michael Madsen as the strip club bouncer. Bouncer. Those, you know, uh, superb scenes with him talking to the owner. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering whether he's, th- given that, you know, he's obviously kind of aping Tarantino in several respects, whether that was right. that was another aspect of that. Yeah, it did seem like this little self-contained story about the stripper, Big Lou, and mm-hmm. then that subordinate. <laughs> yeah. Who really gets it. <laughs> Yeah, it's sort of like, I guess it's picking up, again, like, he doesn't want to let go of the movie he wanted to make, and yeah. going back to where uh, where his wife worked in the original movie mm-hmm. kind of <laughs> kind of uh, suggests that. And there's, there's probably the, 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 the least tasteful moment in the entire film, which is really saying something as well. That's what I wrote down. It's funny you say that. I put, it's in unbelievably bad taste. <laughs> I assume we're talking about smashing a stripper's head into the mirror. Yeah. Yeah. Rob Zombie likes to have a women, a reason for women to be naked when killing them in a film. Yeah, so much so that when Annie dies in this movie, she starts <sighs> off with clothes on. Oh my god, yeah. I mean, we're not there yet, but No, but 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 you're right, it's the same it's the same issue. Ugh. The the end of the scene has Michael changing the sign from open to closed. Yeah. And I was like, this is as close as we get to Michael telling a joke. Mm-hmm. Even this feels like a stretch, and, you know, he's not aware of the punchline. And But we've talked about this right. before. It's like, you know, he's in the original Halloween, the, the John Carpenter 78 Halloween. He has this dark sense of humor that kind of yeah. gets mangled in all the sequels we never really see again. Right. Um, just turns into general sneakiness rather than yes, kind of right. like like um, prankster kind of stuff. I, you know, maybe, but this feels maybe... more like like an attempt to do yeah. that. To me, I was wondering if he was going, if this was as funny and sneaky as he could get. Like, we're closed. Yeah. Nobody will find these bodies now. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's going to ask why this strip bar closed unexpectedly. Yeah. And hasn't reopened in days. Days. <laughs> it's not like the people who attend these places uh, have a visceral urge to be there. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think My... next I have like because like this is where the secret seems to to be the centerpiece of the movie now because Brackett's going to read the book. Yeah, and, and I had pissed. no idea she didn't know. You didn't know? Okay. I either I'd well because nothing tells you either way right it's like I assume that her kind of goth period was a response to her finding out she's Michael's sister Mm. there's nothing that tells you either way that she's found out or she hasn't and it doesn't make sense to me that she wouldn't have found out yeah right until this book comes out anyway it's Mm. it's a moot point I think yeah, you know this is ha- this is a this is a a badly made horror movie. These kind of implausibilities are fine, or whatever. They're yeah. not the problem. Um, 
What is the problem? Time-lapse photography. <laughs> this is another one of my classic go-tos for a director who's out of creative ideas. Yeah. Draw in some time-lapse photography. <laughs> Although in 2009, it would have seemed newer and more... Newer? Yeah. More um, experimental, but I'm fucking sick of it now. If I see it in something, some in a TV show or a film, I take against it almost immediately. Mm-hmm. Because it's been like 10, 15 years of this. Of nonsense? Yeah. Yeah, this kind of... It's just a... You know, it's just... It's just a trick. It's not artistic. It's just... You know. Anyway. Beware, filmmakers. It's kind of a... Tom like, Stewart you know... is on the case. <laughs> Sorry. But that, <laughs> it, that, is a, that is a classic. That's a smoking gun that a director is... So I'm no... The director is out of ideas. And I've no... I've no surprise More than the Dutch killed? Well, didn't he do the Dutch tilt as well in the first film? In the first film, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember there being a petting zoo in this movie, but I've made a note about it. Do you remember what that is? A petting zoo? Yeah. Oh, yeah, they're like in the town and she like there's a bunch of pigs and she pets a pig and gives it back. Right, so there is a petting zoo in this movie. So my, it's my kind follow, of set up my like, follow-up question: Why is there a petting zoo in this movie? Yeah, it's kind of like the, the uh, a a petting zoo slash pumpkin patch. You know, uh -huh. like how they just set up stacks of hay in a parking lot, and all of a sudden you have a oh okay, you know, and then throw in throw in a couple of, of um, throw in a couple of animals. pigs, and there you go. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Okay. Why don't we take one more break and then we'll yeah, come back because we're, mm -hmm. you know, Lori's gonna read the book and she's gonna boldly declare I'm not me. <laughs> <laughs> to the confusion of everyone around her. Sounds like an Amy and, Mann song. Yeah, and, and then we're really going to, like, this town is going to start feeling so Halloween 5 with the yes. barn parties and the... <laughs> like like I say, I, another sign that you're in trouble oh, if we're in man. one of these movies and if you're in a Halloween movie and a party starts... <laughs> it's not going to be good. All right. Let's take one more break and then we'll be back. How about that? Yeah. All right. Right after this, everyone. Still great music. Still not dessert. If you like podcasts like I do, boy, do I have a treat for you. You need to stay on target and check out the Sounds and Cinema podcast. Listen as your host, sound designer and music creator, Tony Parham, and co-host, musical performer and sound lover, Derek Hansen, D-Rock if you're nasty, and I am, discuss all things sound related to film, television, stage, and theatrical productions. They discuss environmental sounds, bioacoustics, dialogue, the nature of communication through sound. But as an added bonus, they drink beer and try to... Stay on target. Find them wherever you get your podcasts and listen to the pure mania of a man who can charitably be described as Doug, the dog from Up, and another man with a soothing and sultry voice trying to get that man to... Stay on target. That's the Sounds and Cinema Podcast. Tune in and listen to the sounds they are creating just for you. Once again, we're back, ladies and gentlemen, finishing up. Possibly. 
with the Halloween Ooh. series <laughs> in total and completely. <laughs> Literally nothing left to talk about until they make another movie. <laughs> we think. Why did we save this for last? Well, I got two responses to that. The first one is, have we ever had a... If we ever covered a movie that there's been four separate distinct versions of? Oh, wow. Because we've got Halloween 2, yeah. Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, Halloween 2017, and Halloween Kills. Kills. They're all remakes of of the original Halloween 2 in some sense. In one way or another, yeah. In one way or another, yeah. It's so interesting about that Halloween, Halloween Kills, right? Because you think that that's a remake <laughs> of the original, but it's not. It's, it's a, a direct an, sequel. It's a direct sequel, so it is a yeah. Halloween 2. And then they decide to Halloween 2 the next movie. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And secondly, have we ever done a have we ever done a movie that has had so many different points of comparison at once? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. If you think we've got the entire we've got what two separate re, uh, two reboots. We've got a, another reboot to compare this reboot to and an original franchise to compare this reboot to. Yeah. And then on top of it, this movie is going to choose to ape Halloween 5 in so mm-hmm. many ways in the last third of this movie. Yeah. Well, I, I'm right now I'm at the book launch. Yeah. Which is a pretty decent scene as far as this movie goes. Linda's dad shows up. And before that, we get like a serial killer fan. Yeah, what um, was that all about? With... Also, I think that I guy th- is fucking. Uh, I think he's one of the uh, fucking band guys later at the party. Okay. <laughs> I, did I, re- I, I think I, I did read that yeah. they had to like double cast someone as two different roles. Okay. So I guess if you're gonna do that and then have you know put him in makeup because he's looking like a vampire or whatever the hell he was dressed as as the singer. But I was like, hey, yeah. I think that's that fucking serial killer. Again, it's it's not a big deal in a movie where a guy hangs out with his ghost younger self. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> we can we can suspension of disbelief is off the table at yeah, that point. Yeah. We're fine. Yeah, so I think this is supposed to be like a jab at the commercial exploitation of murder by the the media, mm-hmm. which they do a little bit of in the first film, and they're do- doubling down on it again now. Um, if we're to trust this mentally unstable man, then Rob Zombie has turned Michael into a complex character, <laughs> right? Which I'm sure he thinks he's done, but and this and this guy who you know who believes, is a lunatic, yeah, probably, yeah. But then, as you say, Linda's dad uh, comes out and. I think this is a really great payoff. It's a really good use of the seriality of the the film couplet because mm-hmm. Linda mentions that her parents are divorced in the original film and this is kind of the payoff to that, right? It's like the this divorced dad who's lived through his daughter dying. Yeah. So I, I think more horror films should do this and like, you know, talk about the what happened to the victims. What happened to the victims? Relatives. Yeah. Yeah. In a way, in a kind of, in a sort of, you know, just a kind of like brief way like this, right? You know, the Scream films do it, but they do it in a very melodramatic way where 
people's parents and grandparents and great uncles become murderers back and <laughs> become murderers. And we don't need to go that far, but I like the nod to, you know, death has consequences here. And it's very yeah. un-Rob Zombie-like as well. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, um, you know, I, I don't think I even really gave it the credit that maybe it, it does deserve. Because I, I, between the serial killer that shows up and the dad, I was more fixated on the remarkable poise that the Loomis character seems to have in front of all of these people, you know? Hmm. It reminded me of, like, George H... Or not George H, but George W. Bush when that guy threw that shoe. Oh. <laughs> you know? And he's just like, lets yeah. him pass him. He's like, well, that was strange. Or, well, you know, uh, when, you're a piece, when you're a piece of shit, you're a piece of shit. You gotta expect <laughs> shoes flying in your face. <laughs> or uh, when Charles... Didn't somebody throw something at Charles or or a like a? Oh, pri- uh, you, King Charles. Yeah, King Charles. What, uh, I nearly said Prince Charles. You see, I cannot accept yeah, the fact that he is currently Britain's it. monarch. Was there a gunshot um, or something? And he yeah, just sort of yeah, he so, casually looked off to his right. <laughs> that's exactly right. You got every uh, someone uh, set off a starting pistol. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone's going going ape shit and he's just he does the thing where he and uh, what's he called um Dominic West says that that's how he gets into character with Charles. Oh really? <laughs> he does the cut like he starts adjusting his cuffs and then the character just comes. Oh, that's great. Is is that and then there's one line from an interview he saw with Prince with uh, the then Prince Charles mm-hmm. where he said, "I'm not doing this for for me. I'm doing it for jolly old England." <laughs> and that's how he get he says that and he starts playing with his cuffs and suddenly Yeah, Charles. that would get you into it, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great. I think he talked about that on the Graham Norton show that um but yeah, uh, Eddie Izzard described it as um, that that thing is like he he's always playing with his cuffs like he's gonna pull out a bunch of flowers like a magician. Yeah. <laughs> what about this? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. But it fe- it's interesting because it, it feels like a little bit of a caricature of what an author on a book tour, especially at Doctor Loomis's level, might be because. I don't expect they're going around in limousines like Yeah, right, totally. Not for this book, not for that author. They just they just want to lean into the idea that he's a, you know, he takes his celebrity too seriously. Yeah. I don't understand so having said all that about how that's a really good idea to bring Linda's dad back. So I understand why the book launch is in there. But I don't understand why we're talking so much about this fucking book plays no role in the narrative. Yeah, I mean, right. it does... Obviously, it's how Laurie finds out that she's Michael's sister. But Michael's not going back to Haddonfield because... Because he wrote a book. Because he wrote a book to get revenge. If, so why If he it... didn't... If Loomis didn't show up at the end of that movie and walk into that shack, like, he and Michael would have had no contact throughout this entire movie. Well, that's the thing, is he? It's like they've given up on Loomis being a part of the story because yeah. he finds out about what Michael's doing on the news. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's a far cry from the Van Helsing figure stalking figure that, his yeah. Dracula. <laughs> He's just sitting. Van Helsing's just sitting at home, like, <laughs> like oh scan, my god, scanning the channels, going <laughs> looking for anything vampire related. I didn't news. know there was a vampire loose tonight. <laughs> And tonight, a woman has had a blood drain. Probably Dracula. I'm getting in the car. Oh, man. (laughs) 
Uh, oh, but but it it and it doesn't end there in terms of the um, the world of celebrity because oh my gosh, it gets so. This meta. is where we this is where we get the Newman Hour. Yeah, <laughs> which sounds like a, a spin off of Seinfeld. Seinfeld. I would watch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just an hour of Newman doing Newman like. <laughs> Delivering mail. I don't know. He what, what would it be? Chris Hardwick should have started it by saying, "Hello." Yes, I'm Newman. Newman. <laughs> this is it's, it's interesting because that it's like the anti Larry Sanders because every late night talk show detail is badly placed. Yeah, it's like the opposite of what they do in Larry Sanders, where they they you know they synthesize a late night talk show to the point where it's indistinguishable from the real thing. This is like the opposite of that. Every single detail is wrong. Yeah, right. Nothing adds up to what it's actually like, what these shows are actually like. And, you know, Cameo City, we've got Weird Al Yankovic. Weird Al Yankovic, whose only stipulation was he got to pick what shirt he gets to wear. Do you think Weird Al Yankovic is like, I don't want to feel like I'm giving this away. I'm going to come up with a weird stipulation. (laughs) (laughs) Chris Hardwick is, uh, you know, he was an original actor in House of a Thousand Corpses, so he has played he got, a role in a Rob Zombie movie along with uh, wasn't Rain he Wilson. in Terminator, Terminator Three: Rise of the Machines as well? Is he? I don't. I think he's that. one of the scientists. Oh, that is ringing a bell. Yeah. Hmm. Another bad movie. But it's just it's it's Rob Zombie kind of like. It's another example of yeah, uh, just skip past that. Let's go right yeah. over that. <laughs> it's it's a we don't have time it's to another relitigate. Exa- it's it's another example of of Rob Zombie desperately trying to fill out a world he doesn't understand. He's like, mm-hmm. uh, so the guest would be Weird Al Yankovic, and uh, this guy who this comedian he'll be the he'll yeah. be the host. It's like, fuck. It's like, well, the the best part of all of this is that there's a moment, uh, you know, just a few short minutes after this, where Loomis is watching before he finds out what Michael is up to on the TV. He's watching mm-hmm. his episode on this talk show. Yeah. And he kind of, you know, because Chris Hardwick is kind of, you know, making, he's not taking him seriously. He's telling him what a piece of shit he is live on TV. Something that all late night TV hosts do, by the way. They would do. They're always perpetually rude to their guests. And I just love that there's this (laughs) moment that shows how little Rob Zombie understands what he's put on screen. Because Loomis puts his hands to his forehead and he says, this is the end, like, this is going to ruin me. (laughs) And the idea that that clumsy talk show is going to ruin his book is so funny to me. Another unintentionally funny moment in this fucking movie. It's also a self-fulfilling prophecy, because I don't think at this point Chris Hardwick was doing After Midnight, or At Midnight, or whatever it's called. Hmm... No, he probably was. I, I don't think so. He certainly wasn't doing Talking Dead because it wasn't on the air yet. So, I don't know if people <laughs> cast, like, hired him for those roles because they saw this. But... Car- carry on talking. I'm going to look at when At Midnight. No, you're right. Because At Midnight was later. Because this is 2009. Yeah. I really liked At Midnight. Uh, Matt Myra was a writer on that, yeah. I believe. 
And now there's After right. Midnight with the woman after Oh, Colbert. that's what I'm thinking of. And I'm trying to think if I... I Ooh. Yeah. 2013. Okay. So, yeah. This was this was basically his uh, his reel. <laughs> his sizzle reel. <laughs> to getting that job. And then that led to... Uh, I don't know, when did Talking Dead start? Probably around the same time, because it took a few years before it became a kind of show that would be Talked worthy about. of a after yeah. show. Yeah. Everybody did, like, Talking Bad and... Yes. You know, like, he's done it with all of them. Breaking Dead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now he's just concerned <laughs> with the wall. Yes. Interview with the vampire with a vampire. <laughs> well, meanwhile, Laurie <laughs> oh, yeah, is declaring, I'm not me. Mm -hmm. And I think it's meant to be dramatic, but came across as funny again to me. Yeah, there's a few lines like that. Because all our friends are like, mm, what? Yeah. Who says, are you a giant? Can we be friends? Oh. It's in a dream, I'm sure. Are you sure? It might maybe be at the not. costume maybe... party. Yeah, I think maybe maybe it is. I think she says that to... Was it like a giant bear? <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard to, to speculate. But there's a, you know, there's, there's Frankenfurter friend who gets killed in the van... Mm. It's full of postmodern monster movie stuff. Yeah. Like, Terror Train is the name of the Yeah, the band. band. Right. <laughs> I think he thinks They're he was being of... very clever with that. Well, also, it's a kind of hipster aesthetic that, again, only exists in the 2000s, yet the movie refuses to pin down what era they're in. Yeah, right. Um, but that whole murder of the boyfriend by the tree and then the girl in the van, that all felt very Halloween 5 to me. Well, it also, it, it felt like what I imagined without having uh, put myself through them, Rob Zombie's other movies are like. Because I wrote down, when I saw that fan kill, I said, without having seen The House of a Thousand Corpses or The Devil's Rejects, I know full well there is a, there is a kill in that like this. <laughs> but they get, this, is this where you were uh, saying they get very meta? Is it in this scene? Well, I meant like I meant more like with uh, Weird Al and Chris Hardwick. That was. Oh yeah. Well, we've got a few because we've got uh they there's a Mike Myers joke. Yeah. That someone makes, um, and they make a reference to Michael being like the shark in Jaws, which is referring to like some of the crit movie criticism of. Yeah. So I think it started the original. With, with the actors, that they mm -hmm. choose to. Put put in on that talk show and then leading into yeah. the dialogue that that follows throughout yeah this scene especially so they're, they're going for a little bit of a new nightmare feel mm -hmm. that discusses how michael has been represented in media but right again then rob zombie is not wes craven so it doesn't really come off yeah he gets crosscut happy again when he, that <laughs> friend dies in the van and it's crosscut with her dancing Almost as though she's yeah. culpable. It seems like the movie's blaming Laurie for this friend's death. Right. Uh, I wonder if they think that... I wonder if he thinks that because he's making a slasher, he has to cross-cut 
mole? I don't know, yeah. I don't know. But I he's in know, love with it. Yeah. He is, absolutely. And now... So the, the, now... Uh, now now it's a full-on story of supernatural possession. Yeah, I was just going to say that because she is now yeah. not just dreaming about Sherry Moon. She is seeing her in front of her in mm-hmm. real time. Yeah. And it is a type of possession. Yes, absolutely. Michael um, now looks like death in the in Monty Python's The Meaning of Life. <laughs> I wrote that down. <laughs> I half expect him to like raise his finger and go, you Ooh. Americans, you're always talking. <laughs> That's great. Also, and I hate to ask a question like this at this stage of our discussion. Why are the ghost family coming for Annie? Yeah. <laughs> Your answer to the question is just to validate the question. You don't have an answer you no, validating no. that I'm asking the question. I love it. Yeah. Uh, that is indeed a question. Because, <laughs> and it's funny too, because he's at the barn party. He kills Laurie's friend. <laughs> And Lori's mm-hmm. friend's new friend. I was almost going to mm-hmm. say boyfriend, but she met him just there. Yeah. And after after a quick talk to make sure that she was, in fact, a woman with a vagina and not a guy, mm-hmm. he was game for sex. So, and there's but a, joke Michael, about, a joke about Rufian, which is important. Yeah, right. Michael is at the place where the person he wants to kill most is at. It's like he just mm-hmm. didn't do his homework, but he got very, you know, in Halloween Ships four, in the night. you know, Halloween four, how we talk about how how Michael can get from one place to another very quickly. Yeah. He's like on the outskirts of town, throwing Bucky onto the fucking mm-hmm. electrical grid, and then he's at the sheriff's home, and then he's in the car, and then he's like, you know, he's getting all over, and like that, he goes straight from the barn party to killing a cop at Annie's house. Yeah, and he's there with mom and himself. Little boy self. <laughs> little boy self. Yeah. Is that a, isn't that a Jodie Foster movie? Little boy self. <laughs> this there's a there's a slight there's a moment where Annie does a silent slow motion run out of the yeah, room, which right. is, is specifically pulled from the Twin Peaks pilot, the shot of uh, Laura uh, Laura Palmer's mother Grace uh-huh. Zabrowski, as Mrs. Palmer doing it. Um, so he really is digging into Twin Peaks territory here, I think. And is 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 it is it a flip flop? It flop felt like he was out? going for high art for sure. Oh yeah. It is it a is it a flip flop to kill Annie after keeping her alive when they killed her in the original? I mean, it then, just is, is it. They're trying to double bluff us, but it just feels like delayed gratification because we we knew we kind of knew she was going to die. Or we thought she was dead anyway. Yeah, we thought she was... I don't know. I know. That's the thing, though. Is like, it feels like it's only a punishment for the audience. <laughs> you said I have pretty much anything in this film, but yes. Yeah, yeah. that's true. But it's like, Definitely, you know, yeah. we thought she was dead. Hey, she's alive. Hey, fuck you. She's dead. Yeah. You Watch know? her die naked. And she starts that scene off with clothes. So I don't understand her being naked unless Michael is also a pervert. Which has not ever been brought up. <laughs> Benny Hill came in in between and ripped off all her clothes yeah. and then ran out. 
No, he goes fast motion, not slow motion. That's, well, that's why they never met. Right. Because Michael's in slow motion, Benny Hill's in fast motion. Oh, he man. can get in and out, rip off her clothes and, go, and leave before <laughs> Michael even gets there. Yeah, I wrote down, Lori is now seeing Sherry Moon, question mark. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Bumped the um, bumped the closet door, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Di- my next note is disco light escape into the woods. So yeah, I mean he I does like sort of... well he kills her, her new friend Maya first. Mm-hmm. He's good at killing everybody except Lori. It seems that way, which makes me think again. Get to that question of what does he want from Lori? Yeah, because the the first like, movie... Are we going back to him wanting to protect her? Right. Or didn't we decide when we did Halloween that his goal is to protect her until she turns her back on him and then he wants to kill her? Mm-hmm. And this movie is equally confusing about what his intentions are towards Laurie. All I know is no good deed will go unpunished because Laurie's <laughs> running through a forest and finds another stranger willing to help her. And of course... Yeah. Ten seconds later, like Buddy, he's dead. Right, the first man in the movie who isn't a raping jerk, and Michael just kills him immediately. Yeah. Rob Zombie's like, we cannot have this in the world of a Rob Zombie movie. <laughs> right. We had the we had the security guard, which was in a dream. Mm-hmm. I possibly in a dream, and this guy is going to be dead instantly. We also get a nighttime version of the spinning trees moment from the original movie. Remember, there was like, what, what, what is this spinning tree shot? It's not a perspective shot. Right. It's yeah. not a motif. It's just a shot out of no. And they do it again here. So they're like, right. Really trying to make spinning trees happen. <laughs> Stop trying to make spinning make trees spinning happen. Trees happen. <laughs> uh, it's the fetch equivalent for Rob Zombie. I, I'm half joking when I say that, that the ghost family are basically the monsters, but. Oh, you're not far given off, what, though, are you? If, given Rob Zombie went on to remake the monsters, yeah. I mean, even down to Laurie being the Marilyn. Yeah, right. It's like, <laughs> it kind of fits really well. I, so the the deputy, uh, I was when I saw him, I was like, oh, he must be another cameo, because he, he looks and sounds so familiar. The guy who played the deputy. And I was like, oh, maybe he was in the original, on the original Halloween sequels, or he's in a horror sequel. That Rob Zombie wants to, wants to acknowledge, and I found out he's in fact the voice of Patrick in SpongeBob SquarePants. So that was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. That's the yeah, level we're uh, working uh, on. The one, the one character who is the one actor who isn't a horror movie cameo <laughs> in the entire movie. This is your second to last favorite, right? Of 2009. So uh, at the moment, okay. I'll reserve. I'll uh, i reserve judgment till after we've discussed Pink Panther two. Right now, it's not looking good for Halloween two, <laughs> given the discussion we've had. The the dream revelation. That was a crusher. That really threw me. Yeah, <laughs> it might have been the nail in the coffin. And I have a you know I have a lot of questions that I know in advance they haven't thought about like. Is the ghost mum real? Is she a shared hallucination of the Maya siblings? Either way, yeah, the canon changes considerably. 
Right. Like, there's no answer that doesn't uproot everything. <laughs> and, it, and then I had this added a follow-up question. Would this have happened mm-hmm. if Laurie didn't find out who she was? And... Well, the psychic connection was already happening. Why would it make a like? Why would it make a difference? It's like, right, but it's only after she finds out she's Michael's sister that she starts to, yeah, see the the ghost. Well, she sees them in dream, I think, before that, but or work with the in life after that. Okay. Okay. But what I don't get is. Well, I mean, first of all, I I guess I'll go in order here because Loomis shows up. I wrote down what is the purpose of Loomis in this movie. Yeah. Uh, Again, it's like a delayed redemption arc, isn't yeah. it? Rather than doing like a redemption arc from the end of the last movie. Right. They have him come from the bottom right mm-hmm. again to like, I'm going to be the guy who saves everyone yeah. at the last minute. So it's his last chance at a redemption arc in the movie, basically. That's why he's there. I guess I also kind of liked that they, it it would see it would be an easy way for them to do what you're saying and for and for Bracket to say, all right, I'll give you one chance. But there's no way a cop could allow that to happen. So I like that he mm-hmm. says, no, fuck off, get away from here, and then you keep the. The characterization yeah. stays the same because the piece of shit ass don't write another book anyway, and goes over there, you know. So at least they're yeah, exactly. Like yeah. it's still all the wrong choices, just but at least he's Hollywood. consistent. He just does whatever he wants, and then he he gets yeah. in there and to to no avail. Like he's got no purpose. He's just gonna get horribly murdered. But we also have speaking to Lori and mm-hmm. what's going on with her. Zombie gives us point of view shots of her being held down by the young Michael mm-hmm. that Loomis is saying is only happening in your head, that it's not real. Right. And so they're trying to throw in the ambiguity of it all being psychosomatic, right. not supernatural. And I've, I, I got to the point where just I kind ghosts, of adjusted right, yeah. to this just being ghosts. And then... Then this says to me, oh, it's like she's, mm-hmm. this is, she's fight clubbing it. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> which doesn't help. Yeah. <laughs> it's already messy. Conception. Right. I don't need I this don't need third a veneer layer of, shit. Of, uh, <laughs> of what. <laughs> now, it's, it's funny, like, Michael's eye sticking out of a mask yeah, that's right. already ripped. We're basically seeing his face at this point. All the mystery of the mask has gone at this. this what point. happens? How does he get onto the? Because he kills Loomis, but then it, how does he fall onto the spiky spikes? Oh, I don't know. Anyway, Let me write that down. He's. It's basically the end of Halloween two, the original Halloween two minus the fire, right? Because both he and Loomis die. But he's stuck there. What I found odd is this choice of having Laurie say, "I love you, brother." which feels really dumb and unearned. And then she just goes ballistic <laughs> and becomes him and stabs him and then puts on his mask and walks outside. But it's an invert. So it's I'm trying to wrap my head around this. In the original movie, she does mm-hmm. it, but it turns out to be a fake out. Here, it's also a fake out, but you buy into it 
more before it's revealed that it's a fake out. So it's like doing an inversion <laughs> but having the same outcome. I don't know. Um, and then, you know, again, speaking of the end of the, it's exactly the same as the end of the first film. Get Laurie insanely yeah. killing Michael again as the fash, as the final shot. Yeah, We've right. gone exactly nowhere in the space of one movie. Except she walks outside with that mask on, which was also unintentionally funny. Yeah, wearing the mask. Yeah. Um, so having done the ending of Halloween 2, now we're doing the ending of Halloween 4 as well. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then the white room that she ends yes. up in. We're trying to do the arc of Halloween 5 in, in the space of one final scene. Because <laughs> she's, you know, it's like when Jay, when Jamie starts out in the in the children's clinic at the beginning yeah. of 5 after the psych, you know, the psychotic break mm -hmm. where she turns into Michael. So these last few minutes of the movie go through about two Halloween sequels in sequence. Yeah. And she's alone with a white horse for no valid reason. No. But on the plus side, I mean, we'll get into your credit check, but we've already discussed original Halloween theme playing, mm -hmm. unearned. Mm -hmm. And then I've never laughed so hard as when Love Hurts starts playing. Yeah. <laughs> um, be before the... Be before the movie ends, she does the Norman Bates psycho spell. Yeah, she does the Bates, yeah. And it's like, not even the original Halloween rips so directly from right. the film that inspired it. Yeah. <laughs> That's cheating. <sighs> and then, uh, so the Halloween theme comes in, and don't we have like a cutaway to the kills from the first two movies? We do. Like from the first movie, style mostly. Recap of, of the whole couplet. Um, That's like which a is Rocky a... Five. Well, it's like a, it's like a slasher imbass. It's a slasher variation imbass, mm -hmm. where you kind of recap the previous movie through all the kills. We see that at the beginning of. But what I don't like is it just seems like a reason for Rob Zombie to show us dead tits again. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I think his secret want was. Hello, we are dead tits. <laughs> Who booked this opener? Um, <laughs> Remember when I showed you Danielle Harris's dead tits? Not once, but twice. Here they are again. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so, and I've got a note here that says, so there are photographs in the credits. Mm -hmm. Are these supposed to be the illustrations in Loomis's book? That's what I thought, yeah. Yeah. And I thought, again, and I think, I think when we did, uh, not to... Um, make the payroll redundant but when we did uh halloween on the patreon halloween 2007 on the patreon 2000 yes 2007 uh, yeah. <laughs> i had to check which halloween i was talking about there for a second <laughs> there's like a there's like a part of the movie which feels <laughs> like a bless you thank you feels like a true crime document like a netflix true crime documentary and this feels that way too like exactly how a true crime documentary would end with folk with like archive photographs yeah right um yeah i'm into my credit check now yeah and, and did you but say the, love, yeah the very idea hurts. of that is yeah well he, he has this this urge to kind of like like he he sent sentimentalize the maya story when there's no basis for doing that 
Oh, see, I look at it differently. I think it. I think it's more to legitimize what he's done. Okay. That's yeah. what it feels like to me. Interesting. Weird Al Yankovic is played by Al Yankovic. Um, yeah. <laughs> I did like as as I if the like only the only moment. distinction between the two is the weird. Yeah, I did like that moment when Loomis called him Mister Weird. Mister Weird. <laughs> yes, that is good. Yeah. Sound editorial by Ear Candy Incorporated. Description right. of the company and the effects they produce do not match. Would not describe <laughs> the soundtrack as ear candy. Uh, one of the songs is called Honky Tonk Halloween, uh, which sounds like a song that could grace Halloween kills as much as this movie. Yeah, for sure. And uh, in the costume department, there's a role of Aja and Dyer. I saw that. Yeah. I think the these people deserve... The telltale sign of... that he wanted to make a movie from the 70s. Yeah. I, it's like, I'm not sure they give this credit for most movies, but in I can see in a Rob Zombie movie, that's yeah. sort of the most important job, is dying yes. things and aging things. Yes. <laughs> uh, that's all I got. All right. Well, there you have it. Mm-hmm. Halloween 2. I mean, we got to talk Pink Panther, but uh, this movie's at the bottom of my list. It's funny because I I do like it more than the 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 2007. Yeah, I think that I think that's a given, and then I think it's just a matter of degree. Yeah, uh, because it's still a, a horrible failure of mm-hmm. a movie. It's not good. No, the it's <laughs> that couplet in. I think that couplet is... Is it the low point? Well, we can say now. We've done them all. <laughs> True. Is that couplet the low point of... Didn't you put... Something of Dave, David Gordon Green's above 2007? I mean, I did. Uh, below it? Yeah, I put Halloween Halloween Kills below it. Kills everything. below it? And I yeah. think I listed 2007 as the bottom of the barrel. This might... This might go above, above yeah a couple of david gordon greens yes i agree this goes above ends for and sure kills. And, and kills and halloween so 2007 but that's it yeah it can't right. go i'm in agreement because what's the next one on the list is like is it resurrection no can't be Mm. You probably have. (laughs) I probably have what? Go on, finish the sentence. Well, I was gonna say you probably have. Uh. His first Halloween above it, or next. Yes, I think I do. Yeah, that will make sense. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right about. You're right about that. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. Yeah. I feel comfortable saying this is better than Kills and Ends. Yep, I feel comfortable saying that too. And But that's remarkable. Uh, that shows you how bad those movies are. It does. Yeah. yeah. How how visionless they are, I think, as well. Like mm-hmm. that a movie as misguided as, as this has more in its arsenal than those two films. Yeah. Alright. Some well, people just aren't horror directors. No matter how hard they try. No matter how much they think they are. 
No matter how many franchises they attach themselves to that are horror based. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you'll have to tell us what you think. Where does 2009's Halloween 2, the fourth, well, I guess the second Halloween 2 of the four Halloween The second twos? Halloween, yeah. yeah. The second of three <laughs> Halloween, the second of four Halloween 2s. Yeah, <laughs> that we've done. Where, In the franchise. Where does it stand for you? We are now officially, we are certified Halloween 2 experts. Yeah, we are. And you're going to have to tell us uh, what you think. And you know what to do. So find us on Facebook. Find us on Instagram. Don't find us on X. And uh, send an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com. All right. For Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions, Michael Schantz here of the How Dare You Awards. I don't know what we're doing next, so stay tuned. Yeah. It'll be one of these 2009 films. Yeah, it'll we'll just, be it'll, we'll it'll be from the year 2009. <laughs> we'll get back to you. <laughs> Say goodbye to everybody, Tom. I'm going to give you my Jolly Green Giant. <laughs> you remember that? I do, yeah. That's, da- that's Daniel Roebuck, isn't it? Yeah. As, it, uh, as if there was... <laughs> as if there was anything lower than playing Jay Leno in a movie. There was something very odd about his kill, too, where Mm -hmm. he was playing it so real because he was screaming like a lady, you know, like a high-pitched scream that I really, really kind of (laughs) just admired his acting choice in the moment. The guy's in The Fugitive. We know he's a quality actor. He's good. Yeah. All right. So long, everyone. We'll be back. We'll play out to great music. <laughs>